a prayer for our country. Almighty God, who has given us this good land for our heritage, we humbly beseech you that we may always prove ourselves a people mindful of your favor and glad to do your will. Bless our land with honorable industry, sound learning, and pure manners. Save us from violence, discord, and confusion, from pride and arrogance, and from every evil way. Defend our liberties and fashion into one united people the multitudes brought hither out of many kindreds and tongues. Endue with the spirit of wisdom those to whom in your name we entrust the authority of government, that there may be justice and peace at home, and that, through obedience to your law, we may show forth your praise among the nations of the earth. In the time of prosperity, fill our hearts with thankfulness, and in the day of trouble, suffer not our trust in you to fail, all which we ask through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. It's been quite a week, hasn't it? To be here in front of you today is most definitely one of those times when I'd love to be able to see your faces again. I wonder how you are feeling this morning. Had we not been living in pandemic times, it would have been good to have heard the conversations out in a busy courtyard or to shake your hands and share a quick thought at the church door. I just don't know what you are thinking about the remarkable events of this week, and I wish I did. So like every sermon is, this one is even more a leap of faith. However, before I launch into it, I first want you to know this, that here you are welcome, you are loved, you are valued for who you are, you are home among the saints, no matter how you see the world we share. And I am so deeply glad that we are a church that can say that to one another. So what's our work this day after the calling of a presidential election? What word do we have to offer as followers of Jesus to the people we share this country with? Half of us are elated, the other half downcast. Half see their values celebrated, the other half are not so sure. So what of the church? What of God's good news might we have to offer when as a nation we see the world through two such differing lenses? Well, if I had hoped the scripture readings chosen for today would help offer inspiration in that regard, at first glance it seems I would have been mistaken. They are, quite frankly, mostly terrible. We have Matthew with his five foolish and five wise bridesmaids, the wise bringing extra fuel, the foolish do not. When the bridegroom arrives late, the fuel-heavy bridesmaids refuse to share, send the others to market to get their own. 
<clears throat> so when they finally make it to the wedding banquet, the bridegroom slams the door shut, telling them he doesn't know who they are. It's a wedding planner's nightmare of a story about staying awake, being vigilant in our expectation of Jesus, the bridegroom's return. The problem is that the bridegroom in the story is not exactly a savior we'd want to be expecting. He's late and lacks mercy. Why not open the door and give those who are late to the party a second chance? A second chance does not seem to be one of the themes of the day. In Joshua, as they settle in the land, having left their enslavement in Egypt, the people are presented with a choice. Forsake foreign gods and turn to the Lord, or not only will God forsake you, the Lord will seek to do you harm. Not exactly God of grace and God of glory, as the hymn goes. When second chances finally do arrive as a theme in our scriptures today, in his first letter to the Thessalonians, Paul is mostly concerned with the grace offered to the dead rather than the living, stating that the dead and the living together will be swept up in the clouds when Jesus comes. Christ, the merciless bridegroom, the God of Israel, a vengeful deity ready to do us harm, and an early church only interested in what happens to us after we die. Not the good news I was looking for. So what do we do when the news isn't giving us what we want? What do we do when other people's views aren't what we want to hear? A timely question for an election season as it is for reading the Bible. I don't know about you, but I can find it all too easy simply to dismiss what I don't want to hear, to count myself out of versions of events that don't jive with my own. It is just too easy to dismiss the other. I'm a liberal theologian. I've been schooled in biblical criticism. I am not a biblical literist. Supposedly, I belong to a Christian tradition that has moved beyond all of that. We believe in Scripture and in reason. It would be very easy for me just to count out the interpretation of a Christian who trusts in the Bible as the inerrant Word of God. And so, when a fellow pastor in a different tradition to my own states that, yes, God will avenge those who forsake the Lord, my theological tradition has taught me to tune that difference out. So too with electoral politics. For a generation and more, we have been conditioned to see the error in other people's ways. We've been oriented to count out views on the other side, whatever side that might be. We have not been encouraged to explore the difference between varied political views of the world for all of the enormity of political chatter this election has witnessed, most of it has not managed to talk across the divide, but only past it. What might happen then if we stopped doing that? 
What might occur if we engaged our differences? Let's go back to those biblical texts for a moment. I cannot believe in a vengeful God. But rather than simply dismiss the theology of the book of Joshua, what happens if we ask why the authors of Joshua present God in such a threatening manner as one who will harm those who forsake the Lord? Israel's history is one of repeated conquest and subordination. The fear of being subsumed must have been a huge part of their national psyche. As someone who has never had to encounter that kind of threat, it is hard for me to see why the projection of a God who is strong and powerful and who will judge his people might serve as a useful deterrent to people seemingly going astray. What then if the theology of the book of Joshua is not inspired by dreams of conquest, but of the fear of ignominy? What if, as the people settle in a new land, the leaders of the Israelites feared that the way of the God of Israel, the God they came to know in the wilderness, will not be enough in comparison to what they see in these new exotic lands of promise? What if the anxiety the authors of this text felt was that Israel would adopt the ways of life of the people whose land they are now in, their gods and their culture? It is hard to see into another person's view of the world. Have you ever wondered what shapes the worldview of people whose lives look very different to your own? I live just a short distance where Monroe Drive becomes Boulevard, the street name that was changed to mark out in days gone by white and black communities. Just a few minutes walk from my house, but I really don't know what it is like to live there. Given that ignorance, I love that because of this church's commitment to racial equity and healing that I am beginning to unpack my white world view and start to see what the world might look like through the eyes of a black child of God. What is the work of the church in a time such as this? What good news might we have to offer a divided nation? We can offer a ministry of empathy. We can say that we now have the choice to delve deeper into one another's stories, the choice to explore the fullness of our differences. We have invested an awful lot of time listening to one side or the other of the case for this nation's future. What an incredible gift it would be now to listen to both. The great good news of our faith is that we never need to question if there is enough grace to go around. Democrat, Republican, urban, rural, black, white, rich, poor, gay, straight, all are already counted and loved and received by God. As we look ahead at the story unfolding of our life as a nation, I invite you to trust that God's grace is an abundance that has more than enough room for us to walk together and to listen for the hopes 
and fears of America's future in the fullness of our differences. May we be ambassadors for the empathy of a gracious and loving God. May we learn more how to love our neighbor by listening to our neighbor and pray for the gift of discerning hearts. In the time of prosperity, fill our hearts with thankfulness. And in the day of trouble, suffer not our trust in you to fail, all which we ask through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.